0: Open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to the book of John chapter number 11. Thanks for letting me make fun. That's, that was all fun. Uh, John chapter number 11. I just... Why are you getting your Bibles open to that? I just need to let you know something. I love good coffee. I really do. I... I I am not a coffee expert, but I love good coffee and I can tell when coffee is not so good. And being away this week, I had very little con- the last couple of weeks I had very little control over my coffee consumption, and there was good coffee and there was terrible and there was atrocious coffee and I had to deal with it, but but good coffee is important to me. And and I'll just be candid with you and I tell people this in the community. I'm a blessed man because see I, I get to work out of a building that houses an independent coffee house. And that coffee house is our tenant here. And and what's even more wonderful about that is, is that it's kind of like the lobby for our church. And, and any time I need to have a meeting, it's like, well, y'all you know, meet you at the coffee shop. Just kind of roll out of the back office into the coffee shop, sit there, grab coffee. It's heaven to me. It really, really is. It's very nice, and I'm happy about it. I love coffee so much that we made a deal with the coffee house here. Buongiorno made a deal with them that said, hey, uh, since, since you, know, you guys uh, rent from us, why don't we set up a little deal here that on Sunday mornings, uh, anyone who attends City Life Center gets complimentary coffee. And so we have that worked out. That's, and if you've not, never gotten one of these little coffee cards, be sure and ask a, a greeter or an usher because they'll get one to you. But you just take it over there and you get your free coffee and you, you put it in your cup and, and it just makes you happier. It just does. It's, it's, it's a good working situation for me. And I do love good coffee. I love coffee in general. But but uh, considering the fact that coffee is good, there is something that I would like in life a little more than just having good coffee, and that is to have a good life. I want to have a good life. That is something that I want. And I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting a good life. And I thought about that. What does it mean to want a good life? Well, part of it is I saw some old people this week, and 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 there's a little bit of envy there. It's like I, I want to be an old man because old men can just say whatever they want to say, and they get away with it, and nobody cares, and they don't care, and there's part of that thing. I, I want that. I mean, I want to grow old and and take my at that point my iPhone 42 GLS X Ultra and hurl it into a dumpster and, and then and, and i would love to I, honestly i thought about this i would just love to die like my grandpa died where you know he's an old old man and he's in the car with his dog and some big dump truck t-bones him and he dies instantly he's like hey that's a good way to go i would like that that would you could go with your dog to heaven well wow, how nice and but, you know don't don't worry sweetheart you'll be taken care of we do have life insurance but i want a good life and i want to have a good relationship with my wife I want to live, live in my house, not just be there or sleep there, but just live in my house with my wife. And I want to have grandkids and great-grandkids over. It's funny because when we bought our house, my, my oldest son, Preston, he he made a statement which was kind of a sobering moment for me. And he's, you know, most of you know he's not married. He doesn't even have a girlfriend and certainly no children. And he he made this statement. He said, he said, "Oh, I can see my children running around here in this house. This is a great place." And we're like, "What do you mean your children? What? What are you doing?" And I was like, "But wait a minute. I want to be. A, I want my grandkids to be over." And then I thought, "Well, I want to go beyond that. I want my great-grandkids running around the house, and I want to travel the world together with my wife, and I want to go and just." go places and laugh with each other and have fun and hang out and go on dates and go to the beach like we did this week. That was fun. Just go and hang out and have a good time. I want a good life. I want good relationship with my sons. I I want to take them on man adventures and I want to have deep conversations with them about God and culture and the scriptures I want to pass along to them the stories of our family heritage and 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 the the things that give them a strong foundation and helps them to have identity and purpose in their lives and I want them to be able to pass that along to their children and their grandchildren because they're going to be over at the house anyway you know I want a good life I want to enjoy just good food. In fact, we saw a barbecue restaurant. Some of you have probably tried it, but there's a barbecue restaurant called Woody's Barbecue. We've driven past it several times. And so I said, okay, we're going to find out when it's open because I want to eat at my barbecue restaurant, Woody's Barbecue. I just have a feeling I'm going to walk in there and they're going to say, da-da-da-da, you're here. And I say, yes, yes, I'm here Serve me the barbecue. I have these images in my mind of what it's going to be like, but this is one thing I know for sure. It's going to be Texas barbecue. See, because I was out of the state and they don't make barbecue barbecue i remembered it again they don't make barbecue like i like barbecue outside of texas and they do it all wrong and they think it's right they're so deceived of the devil but but i love good texas food What they serve in Ohio and Kentucky and Florida and Tennessee, it just doesn't impress me. And then there's their Mexican food. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't even go there. They do not know how to do Mexican food. I don't care how authentic it is. There was this one place on Yelp. I'm I'm a Yelp addict, and I went out there, and it's like the highest-rated Mexican restaurant in the area. And so it was called Mex-Mex. Like, you can't lose with that. And I go there to Mex Mex, highly rated, and it was the nastiest Mexican food ever. And I was having such a terrible time. I just want a good dose of Texas food. I want mesquite-smoked barbecue. I want Tex Mex. I want salsa. And throw in a little bit of sushi on the side, and I'm going to be just fine. Because I want a good life. And here's something that's important for us to know. A good life is also what God wants for us. That's what he wants. God wants that for me. God wants me to have a good life. God doesn't want to make us suffer. God is working for the good of us. In fact, the Bible says this, God works. This is a job of his. This is part of his occupation. He works for the good of those who love him. So God is working right now for my good and for your good. But let's face it, many of you are finding that there's a lot of bad going on in your life and around you right now. Things don't look good. Things look bad. In fact, for some of you, life actually really stinks right now. And you feel like you've wasted your time and your energy and your resources. And you're reeling from a mess maybe that someone else created for you. You're dealing with harsh realities of life that are just sucking every little bit of energy and joy from you. And and you're saying, hey, but where's the good life that God is working on for me? I mean, the Bible even says it. God is good. He is also working for our good. But what's going on here? Because you might say my life doesn't feel very good right now. And God doesn't seem to be doing much about my life right now. Here's the truth. It's easy to call God your healer when everything's going good, but when you need healing and you don't receive the healing, it's not very easy to call God your healer. That's that's tough. It's easy to call God your provider until you find yourself jobless, broke, your car is repossessed and your home is foreclosed on. It's easy to call God your strength until you're horribly weak and depression is pounding you and you can barely get yourself out of bed. It's easy to call God your source of blessing until you look on Facebook and see how everyone else is blessed better than you. And this conflict in our minds just keeps messing us up and it stresses us out. In fact, one of the big sources of stress is this fact that God promises things, but we don't see those things in front of us. That's actually doubt. See, we read about it in the Bible about how God has these promises for us. We hear stories about what's happening from God's promises toward other people. We hear the TV preacher saying that if we only had more faith, it would all work out. And this stresses us out because God promises it, but we're not seeing it. Thus, the main point that I want you to hear today. I'm going to say this over and over today, that this is so vitally important because this is a real issue And here at City Life Center, we're not going to beat around the bush and play church. We're going to be serious about the things of life and what the Bible says. Because the truth is this. When it's not good, that is actually equal to something. This is in an equation form. When you're saying it's not good, it is equal to this fact that God's not finished because God is good. Your marriage is not good, and then that is equal to God's not finished because God is good. Your finances are not good, therefore it is equal to God's not finished because God is good. Your emotional well-being is not good, and that is equal to God is not finished because God is good. John chapter 11 verse 1, we read a story. And I want you to read this story along with me from the Bible. So you're going to see this in the life of someone that's in the scriptures. The Bible says, John chapter 11, verse 1, now a man named Lazarus was sick. We don't know what kind of sickness he was going through, but it was Very dangerous, it was life-threatening, most likely a lot of pain and agony involved in it. It says, he was from Bethany, and it's important that he's from Bethany. You'll find out a little bit later here. It's the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair later on. So the sisters, this is the sisters of Lazarus, they sent word to Jesus. And they sent word to Jesus, and Jesus was about two days' journey away, we find out later on. And the word was this, the message was this, they couldn't text it, they couldn't send him an email, they couldn't give him a phone call, they had to deliver it person to person. And the message was this, Lord, the one you love, which is Lazarus, is sick. And when Jesus heard this, Jesus said to the person who was there to deliver back this message, he said this, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may get glorified through it. That was the message back. (laughs) Person hears the message, they take off back home. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, based on that love, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days and then said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So here's this picture. Lazarus is very, very sick, and and he had a problem. Things were not good. His sisters take the problem to Jesus. That sounds like the right solution, right? Yeah, they were doing the right thing. They took it to Jesus. And Jesus gives this wonderful answer saying, you know, the sickness, it's not going to end in death. It's for God's glory and God's son is going to be glorified through it. That is an awesome answer. I love hearing answers from God like that. Don't you? Sounds pretty good. Now, I want to reemphasize this fact. Jesus loved These ladies, he loved Lazarus. They were close. They they had a close friendship relationship. And this is really important because a lot of times we tend to doubt God's love for us. Except when things are rosy. You see, we don't doubt God on wedding day. We doubt God on divorce day. You don't doubt God when you're getting a raise or when that big commission or bonus comes through. No, you doubt God when you get fired and there is no commission. See, you don't doubt God when you're healthy and you're bouncing out of bed at 4 a.m. every morning just to watch the sun rise and go for a run on Trinity Trails. But you do doubt God when you're chronically sick. You can hardly even drag yourself to work to earn the little peanuts it takes to pay the medical bills at a job that you hate. And this stresses us out. One of these sources of stress, and it's trying to believe that God actually loves us when things are going bad. I mean, the Bible actually said this, that God loved Lazarus and his sisters. It says Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus so When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. Jesus and the guys, the disciples, hung out for two additional days. He loved him so much that he's going to hang out there for a couple more days instead of going to Bethany. Now, you want to think about that for just a second? Does that make any sense to you? Because it doesn't to me. I mean, what was the deal? Jesus had just gotten himself his new Kindle on his vacation. It's like, well, I've downloaded some books. I have to read my books before I go back. I need some time for to get refreshed. I mean, hey, I'm hanging out at the beach. I'm enjoying myself. I've already paid for this condo. Not time to go back now. We don't know. I mean, he he was maybe he was just certainly in need of a little more beachside sushi before he headed back inland. I don't know. Possibly he thought, I need to work on the tan. I need to get some more vitamin D. I mean, I created the sun. I know it gives me vitamin D. I got to get it. I'm in this body. It doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, how many of you guys have, have uh, there, there are people that just do, that do things that get on your nerves? Now, I know really, probably none of you ever deal with people who do things that get on your nerves but occasionally i do it's just rare occasions but it's like you know some of them are, are like close talkers you ever have a close talker with bad breath that gets right up in your face and you're just kind of doing this and you're you're leaning back then you learn this there's a fine art to this and we'll let you know you keep your foot out you lean back and they and you get, you actually reclaim some of your space that that's just a little clue right there but but then there also people that are trying out the new the new 121 the new tollway the the uh, I call it the cow road. I, I can't ever remember the name of it. I know it's a Chisholm Trail Parkway, but I call it the Cow Road. But 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 they're they're driving there and they're trying to check it out like it's happened to me twice, and someone stops in the middle of the highway, the middle of the stinking highway, because they're confused, and they stop on the highway. It's like, no, wrong, wrong. That is a very bad idea. I want to yell at them. I don't feel very Christian at the time, and, and, and just, just things like that, people who leave their turn signal on and just keep driving and driving. You want to get in front of them, slow down, and turn your t- turn signal on. Not like I've ever done that, but well, you know, I've thought about it. Or maybe people who are just always late. I'm not talking about being occasionally late, but always, always late. I mean, several years ago, I had assumed the pastorate of this, this large church, and, and I had taken over where another pastor had resigned and left, and I inherited a staff. Uh, and so when you inherit a staff, it's, you know, they, they're, they're your new team. And, and so, so I asked the guys, like, what time do you guys have, when do you guys have staff meetings? And, and when is you know, what time, what day? They said, oh, we meet on Monday mornings at 8.30. Great, great, I'll see you guys at 8.30 in my office. And 8.30 went around, and I set up all the chairs in the office and, and had the door open, and nobody was there. And and 8.35 came around, and the executive pastor comes walking in and sits down. Hey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm doing good. So we sat and chatted for a while, and then as time went by, people continued walking in and walking in and walking in. Finally, at nine o'clock, the last person shows up, uh, thirty minutes late. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm the new guy. I don't know the culture here, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to just just sit back and. And enjoy this. So, so I thought this is just a weird day. They're maybe they're just on this high because they received such a new wonderful pastor. I don't know. And and, and so so we we this goes on for two more weeks. The same pattern. At eight thirty five, the first guy walks in the door, and then about ten, sometimes as late as ten fifteen, the last guy walks in the door, and then and only then can you officially start the meeting. And so so this this just keeps going on and on. I I didn't know what was going on with them, and and so I I addressed it after the third uh, finally on that third week i said what's what's going on and they, they said well really staff meeting is too early for us and this eight thirty thing is just killing us and someone says yeah i have to finalize my reports from sunday and get them to you and it's that's hard and so, yeah, I have to make my last-minute phone calls. Another person says, I'm doing churchy things. I, just, I don't even know. I mean, who are, what are they doing churchy things for? But but like, another says, yeah, I have to collect information for the meeting. And another one says, I'm praying, and I just keep praying so long that I can't come to the meeting. It's like, wow, you guys are just so spiritual and love God so much. So we are going to let you do those things during this time. We're going to move the staff meeting till 930. How's the extra hour sound? <laughs> We're like, thank you, Jesus. We love our new pastor. We love him. We love him. No kidding, God is my witness. Next week rolls around 9.30, I open the door, have all the chairs set up and snacks and the seats for everybody and everything's ready to go. 9.35, the first guy walks in. Finally, at 10 o'clock, the last guy walks in 30 minutes late, and I told them, I said, okay, gentlemen, now that the last person is here, I want to say something to you guys. You guys are all, I love you, but you're all liars. Now, I, I know, they kind of, I said, no, don't, don't, don't get upset with me. but it's true, and I said, it's okay if you're late once in a while, you know, just send a message and say, you don't have to give me an excuse. I don't really care. Just let me know you're going to be late, but But to be chronically late all the time, it's not good. And and so I had my staff do an exercise that day. So we added up all of the time that everyone was late. Five minutes here, and then there's 10, and there's 15 minutes, and you're 30 minutes late. We added it all up, and it came up to 90 minutes. And I said, so we've wasted 90 minutes of our time because everybody is late. So let's start showing up on time next week. And needless to say, the next week, they started showing up on time. So I felt better about life and about myself. But see, that's one of my little issues. Obviously, the last pastor didn't have that issue. I'm sorry, but that's just the way I was wired. And, and, and it's just it just is there. I mean, you guys have the same little quirks. But see, Jesus was not late by an hour or two. He wasn't late. In fact, the Bible doesn't even say he was doing churchy things. We don't know what he was doing, but he was hanging out at the beach. We do know that like I was doing this last week. And, and it doesn't say that he was busy parting the Red Sea or he was addressing the, 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 the king of, of, of Rome at that time. It doesn't say any reason why he was late. It doesn't even say he was feeding the children. He was just late. Now consider the facts. Lazarus is sick. And it's a two-day journey to, uh, from Bethany to where Jesus is. So let's say... It's Monday. Mondays here, Mary and Martha are seeing that Lazarus is doing very bad. So they send their friend to deliver Jesus' message, considering the hopeful idea that they actually know where Jesus is and they don't have to hunt for him. And so it's a two day journey. And let's just add, most conservative, they get there on Wednesday. They announce it to Jesus on Wednesday. Jesus says, He's not going to die. God is going to be glorified. All things are wonderful. And Jesus stays at the resort until Friday. And then Jesus begins heading that way, finally reaching Bethany on Sunday after the Monday that they sent the message to Jesus. That's like showing up for the July 4th celebration on July 11th. And by the time you get there, they're saying, Hey, we're planning Christmas. What's the problem? Where have you been? See, and Jesus was not only late, but there was this further complication. They lived in a town called Bethany. That may mean nothing to you, but it meant a lot back then. See, because Bethany was a city that was settled by Egyptians, and, and the Egyptian ways of life and the Egyptian culture was foundational there, and the, the Jewish culture was kind of overlaid on top of it, but the foundation was the Egyptian culture. It's kind of like if you go somewhere in the United States and you experience a microculture of immigrants, and they create and they, they live by their own culture there. It's still in America, they are Americans, or they're living by the American culture as a whole, but still... Their ways of doing things are according to their microculture. And historians tell us that the people who lived in Bethany, they kept the traditions of the Egyptians. Now, think about this. When the Egyptians had a person die, here's what they would do, and the evidences are still there in Bethany, that they would take the dead person on the day of death, and they would drain their blood, and they would remove the heart remove the tongue, remove the eyeballs, and somehow suck out their brains, and they would put all of this in a jar and put it in a tomb the same day he died. That's how they did it. So in Bethany, when you die, you had better really be dead, because if you're not really dead, you're really going to be dead really quick, you see? There's no hope. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. You're in Bethany. Some of you, you feel like, that sounds just like my situation, Pastor. There's no hope. It's gone too far for anything to be undone. And it stresses you out, and it overwhelms you. This is one of those sources of stress. It's hope that begins to dissolve into anger and depression and regret. It all comes around this word, doubt. And then Jesus arrives at the tomb. He finally gets there, and this is seven days after, again, the word was sent to Jesus. And He has this nice tan. He comes strolling up in his robe, and we know how what his robe looks like because we've all seen the movie. the white robe with the blue sash, and he's, his hair is flowing, and he's smiling. And he's looking good. He comes walking up, and everybody is stressed out but Jesus. Mary and Martha are just ticked off at Jesus. It says, in look in the Bible in verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Mary was a little more upset than Martha was. Jesus arrives, Mary goes, Martha says, Lord, that's a good start, right? If you had been here, my brother would not have died but I know, and again, she's, she's balanced here. She says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, Oh, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he's going to arise again at the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will have life even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So she's just getting to this theological discourse here. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. But then after she said this, she just went back to the house. and She went and got... Mary, and she says, hey, the teacher's here and he's asking for you. Now, there's no evidence that he even asked for her. I think she was just wanted to get out of there and I really don't need a sermon at this time. I don't need anything to make me feel good. I'm pretty sad and upset because my brother just died, so I'm gonna go tell Mary it's her turn. So look in verse 32, it says, when Mary reached now the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, I worship you, my Lord. No, 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 she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same words that Martha had said. I have a feeling they were rehearsing this line at home. It said, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, everyone's crying and sobbing. says he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. That's actually the shortest verse in the Bible. want went, memorize Bible verses, that's it right there, two words, memorize that, say, say, I have a verse of the Bible, memorize, Jesus wept, that's what happened, it says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him, and then some of them were saying, man, could he who not opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So there you have Mary and Martha, these friends of Jesus, they're really stressed out because Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do in their timetable. And and the truth was, their brother now was very, very dead. And Jesus comes and he starts talking about theology, talking about how people are gonna rise from the dead at the end time, and I am the life, woohoo hoo and, and now Jesus is, himself is crying, and nobody can even figure out why Jesus is crying. And all we know is that he's deeply troubled. So you have all these emotions, all these feelings. Things are not very pretty at this moment. And the critics now start whispering saying, man, what is the problem with this guy? He's, he's, a, he's a fake and a phony. He can't even help people. Why, he can't even help his friends. Where's this love of God stuff? But the truth remains, which is this. It's not good is equal to God's not finished because God is good. Now, this is hard, though, and it's never easy taking God at his word in a hopeless situation. When you're stressed out, when your world is crashing in on you, and you want to trust God, but hey, your brother's organs are in jars, and God is a week late, and his body is now rotting. Look at verse 38. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He said, take away the stone. But Lord said, Martha... (laughs) By this time, there's a bad odor. Don't you know how this works? His body's been there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you're going to see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people who are standing here. This is his prayer. He's doing a teaching prayer right now, kind of a boisterous prayer. But I'm praying this because people are listening to me, in other words, so that, you, so that they will believe that you actually sent me, God. And when he had said this, Jesus called out with a loud, loud voice. He says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, go take off his grave cloths. His clothes, let him go. You see, Jesus came to this tomb and the there's a big stone on the entrance, and the disciples, are, they're also murmuring, which I didn't get into all that, about, man, he's lost his mind. It's a scary situation, and the truth is I have seen The Walking Dead, and I know it's not smart to start messing around with that. So, but, but, but he goes there, and, 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 and Martha saying, God, this is not a good idea, Jesus. This is not wise. Don't do this. It's going to smell. And Mary was stressed out, and Martha was stressed out, and Jesus was crying. It's because there was a lot of doubt that was in the air. And Jesus is saying, did I not tell you? Don't you remember? I sent out a tweet about this. I posted it on Facebook. It's not going to end in death. But who has faith here? I mean, Mary didn't. Martha didn't have faith. And the crowd that was murmuring about Jesus, "Oh, oh, here he is again. Some kind of God he is. Look at him. He can't even help out his friend. But it says they took away the stone. I don't know who they was, but it's most likely some people who trusted him people who had seen his miracles and seen him turn water into 180 gallons of wine at a party, who fed 20,000 people from a kid's meal. And what Jesus did is he prayed, and as he prayed, he was making this statement because people thought he was crazy, but the dead man came out intact. And the translation of it all is this. It's not good is equal to God's not finished because God is good. I don't want you to forget this equation. I mean, God does want a good life for us, right? He is working for our good, right? It's like coffee. It's good. I mean, what makes coffee good? Now, Jake is a coffee master. I I know that. And and he's, he's an expert on coffee. I don't know if any of you could, you guys can, like, have coffee debates. He will win. All right, that's just all there is to it. Starbucks has, you know, you probably, I don't know, he should, like, have a crown or something. But he, but he knows his, his stuff, and, and that's, that's really cool, and that's really awesome. And he can tell you all about what makes good coffee. And there are, there are lots of snobs around that, that have their, their you, know, there are lots of, you know, coffee snobs. I mean, come on. The, you got, this room's filled with them, and there are a bunch next door right now. There are coffee snobs. The place is filled with coffee snobs. And, and then there, there are different types of coffee snobs. There's the coffee maker snobs. It's like there's only a certain way to make the coffee with your coffee maker or, or you know, your machine. But I want to tell you, the coffee maker does not make good coffee. Other people are grinder snobs. They, they, it's all about the grind. You know, if it's ground a certain way, and they'll look at it and go, oh, I'm not touching that. I can see it's not ground correctly because they're coffee grounds snobs. And, and But I just want to tell you that it's not the way the coffee that's ground that makes it good coffee. I'm sure of that. Th- they're also the filter snobs. Oh, yes, the filter snobs, it has to be a certain kind of filter. And and, and, it, and, and if it's recycled, oh, then it's even better, or whatever kind it is. You know, you don't have to have paper, or it can't be this, or it can be that. They're the filter snobs. Like, it's all about the filter. If the filter is right, the coffee's going to be great. But I want to tell you that a good filter, or the right filter, does not make good coffee. And then there are also the coffee bean harvesting location snobs. They only care about where the bean was harvested from because of the soil that it came out of to know whether the coffee is actually going to be good. But I'm here to say to all the coffee bean harvesting location snobs that that is not what makes good coffee. They're the cream snobs. Only a certain kind of cream can make good coffee. There are the sugar snobs. There's only a certain kind of sweetener is going to work to make it. And then, to top it all off, I swear you know that's true, there are the stirrer snobs. The heck can only stir the coffee with a certain type of stirrer which makes you have good coffee. Then there are the mug and the cup snobs. Now, I have to admit, I fall into that category because I know if it's not served in the City Life Center mug, it's not good coffee. But, But... But you'll say, you know, if, it, 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 you have to have the right mug or it's not going to work right because of the essence coming from the mug. I don't get any of that. The truth is, it's not the mug either that makes good coffee. So what is it? Here's the truth. Coffee is good when it all works together. Coffee is good when it all works together. It's not one little thing that happens to you in your life that dictates whether God is good or God is not good. God is good when all things work together. You see, you don't go and tell a sick person that it's good that they're sick because God's giving glory from it. I've had someone tell me that and I just want to jump out of bed and slap them upside the face. But the truth is, God take does take the bad and make it good. I haven't even heard religious people you know, say, oh, it, it's so good that, that your son died. You know, telling a parent of a teenage son, I wanted to go smack him in the name of Jesus. Say, it's not good. Their kid was murdered. How can you say this is good? Like, well, God makes it good. Yes, but this is not good. And that's the truth. Is being broke good? No, it stinks. Is watching a loved one waste away good? No, not a chance. But God always takes the bad and makes it good even. Even though your circumstances or my circumstances might not be good right now, here's the truth. I know that God is good. And if you're barely hanging on today, here's the truth. And I want you to rest in this with all of your mind. And it's this. When it's, it's not good, it is equal to this. God's not finished because God is good. And many of you, you're, you're going to walk right out of this room and you're going to walk back into hellish circumstances, things that are stressing you out and that are overwhelming you. And know this, that a source of stress is this, is that what, what you have to deal with when you walk out of the doors of this place, because this can nice, be a nice little place, but reality hits in 30 minutes. And those feelings of being overwhelmed can suffocate you. But I want you to remember this, that the way God works is like this. He keeps working through your situation for your good remember this fact. The truth is this. It's not good. Is equal to God's not finished because God is good. And as followers of Jesus Christ, he wants us not to be stressed out, but to be overcomers. And a remedy for this stress is this, it is simply being an overcomer when everything looks bad. Instead of just Asking God and expecting God to change all the circumstances immediately. Uh, Here's one of the things you begin to ask God for. Ask God to begin to change you in the middle of your circumstances. Because that's actually how you overcome. Jesus brought Lazarus back to to life, but he died again. Did you know that? How do I know? It's because he's not here today. He's not walking around on this earth. He didn't stay alive and he probably even suffered when he died. But he's in heaven today. Which brings me back to the truth. It's not good is equal to God's not finished. Because God is good. And here's the truth of the matter. Jesus understands. He was stressed, but he overcame. As we prepare for communion, I want you to listen to these words. When Jesus was hanging there on the cross in immense pain, Dying. Drawing his last breath. He said these words. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now back in those times, they didn't say, now let's read Psalm 22. They would address or they would, they, would, they would name a psalm after the first line of it. When Jesus said those words, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? He was saying, Psalm 22. A lot of people don't even realize what's in Psalm 22. But it's a prophecy of what Jesus was feeling on the cross. What he was going through. His pain, his anguish, his excruciating nightmare was happening in front of him. You guys are facing some excruciating nightmares as well. But one of the things Jesus does for us is he lets us associate ourselves with him. And that's part of the reason we do communion, the blood, the bodies, to remember what Jesus did for us. He went through immense pain so that we could live forever. But the part I want to emphasize today is he went through immense pain. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far off from saving me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? That's in the Bible. That's how some of you feel right now. He said, oh my God, I, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. And by night, I'm not silent. I'm a worm. I'm not even a man. I'm scorned by men and despised by people all who see me mock me and they hurl insults and they're shaking their heads saying he trusts in the Lord let the Lord rescue him let him deliver him since he delights in him yet you brought me out of the womb and you made me trust in you even at my mother's breast from birth I was cast upon you from my mother's womb you have been my God so do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions are tearing their prey open. They open their mouths wide against me, and I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint, and my heart is turned to wax, and it has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the of my mouth and you lay me in the dust of death dogs have surrounded me and a band of evil men have encircled me and they've pierced my hands and my feet I can count all my bones people stare and they gloat over me and they divide my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing and I'm telling you Jesus Jesus understands this. That is our God. That is the God who breathes life into us. That's the God I worship. Not a far off, distant God that may or may not answer your prayers, but a God who knows what it feels like
1: for life to fall
0: apart. And that's the God we worship at this communion table today. If Jesus Christ is not the Lord of I encourage you to receive him into your life to accept him as your Savior if there's sin in your heart make things right before God and we're going to partake of this together and we're going to worship God for a few minutes. I want us to do this together I want us to open ourselves up and watch what God can do over these next 20 minutes or so I'm going to pray with you again if things are not right between you and God pray this prayer and mean it mean it from the bottom of your heart and then come and receive communion Let's begin to drink deeply of the things of God. Partake of the body of Christ, the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I'm far from you. I ask you to wash me and cleanse me. is as if I have never sinned because I stand before you pure today able to share holy communion to remember you're suffering for me because you love me thank you Jesus for all you've done for me in Jesus name